Hello there. Welcome back to um, my weekly podcast. Um, this is episode 15, I think. Yeah, keeping track, a bit better at keeping track these days. I'm actually doing my homework before starting recording. And um, yes, yeah, sort of saving the. I have a little template in uh, Logic, which basically I use. So it just, uh, I don't really know what I'm doing with recording, which is probably obvious. Um, basically, I have uh, I just have this uh, computer which I have Logic on, and I've got, like, uh, I've got this Rode NT2 microphone. It's one of the Australian-made Rode mics. And I'm um, very fond of this mic, not because it's a great mic, but uh, I bought it off eBay um years and years ago and it was on one of those situations where somebody put it on for a price you know like 90 quid or something and it was someone who had no feedback or one or something you know it was just like a new seller and i was sort of watching it and i just chucked a bid in at the end and it um i won it for nothing 95 quid or something which is an amazing price for a road nt2 Mike, you know, that one of the Australian made ones. I think they originally were made in China, uh, the, the, the NT2, and then the NT2A, which is the one they started making in Australia. They built this facility in Australia and blah, blah, blah. That's the sort of story, the marketing hype I read. Um, I've used the the NT1s and some of the other ones that, um, you know, were made in China, and they were perfectly, they, they seemed exactly the same to me, just as good a quality. But anyway, end up banished Mike. Blah blah blah. Sorry, this is already a very boring story. Sorry, I, it's right at the beginning of the podcast as well. If you've turned off by now, I completely understand. Or maybe just jump forward like forty seconds to you know, to end this pointless story. But this microphone, anyway, whoever I bought it off, uh, they posted it to me when it arrived. They literally just put it in the little wallet and then put it in the 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 road box, you know, the little cardboard box. No bubble wrap, no nothing. This thing had been through British Royal Mail, you know, this microphone. This is real testament to how well these mics are made. This thing, you know, came to the door, I signed for it, and it was like, oh, my God, it's rattling around like it's, you know, and it's been posted from God knows where. And uh, anyway, took the mic out, out of the bag, out of the box, out of the bag, plugged it in, press record, just said one, two, or did whatever, and hit a drum or something, and it was perfectly fine. I was like, how the heck's that survived, that journey, you know? But they must be very, very well made, these microphones. It was completely undamaged. Check that out. No bubble wrap, just posted, post office, chucked in a mail bag, probably, you know, like, through several different depots, chucked around, whatever came survived so i like this microphone it's not the best quality obviously uh i, I used to use it as an overhead when i used to record my drums because i used to have a sound card well i actually still got it actually it's just got two inputs um but i bought another sound card for my drums uh, last year just four inputs so and then i bought a couple of these nt uh fives you know the little um little cardioid mics that have the interchangeable ends so you can put different ends on them. Anyway, um, so this kind of mic ended up being a little bit retired, really. Um, and then when I started doing these podcasts, I started using the mic again. So, um, yeah, I just 
I've just got a very simple setup. I have his template, um, which is in Logic, and I just have a sort of bit of a compressor on the channel. So basically, I can play the pad. So I've got this little pad here, and it all tends to be roughly seems to all be at the same volume. Um, and it seems to all be, when I play it back in headphones and things, nothing ever seems to stick out. So it seems to be all working okay in that respect. Um, but yeah, so it's just kind of like, you know, um, this little recording setup is, um, it makes things really easy for me. And then what I normally do is I uh, don't save the title of the podcast till the end. So I record in the kind of template and then I go at the end I go right okay yeah well what was the, what we're going to call this thing just as a name you know so I've got a name for it and uh, today I was super organized because I was making some notes about what I was going to talk about today uh, just got a bit of a I came up here it's a Friday night so it's a managed to get this done a little bit earlier this week. Managed to get home not too late today. It's very, very quiet driving. It's a bit of a weird, obviously. We're in the middle of this coronavirus thing at the moment, which, uh, which is in the news and everything. And uh, I've been at work today at college and talking about that today. It's business as usual at the moment. You know, um, we don't have any... Um, any known cases at the moment or anything? I mean, obviously, there's you know we don't know for sure because there's no way of knowing. But uh, yeah, everybody's kind of just you know coming today. I did a nice workshop today with our vibes tutor, uh, John Settle, and uh, quite a few drum students came in today to come and we're trying to get some of our you know more of our drum students to play the vibes because you know piano is quite hard. I, I learned piano uh, to a certain extent. <laughs> I was very very lazy piano student. Um, and I just did that thing like I always do. I tended to sort of pick and choose what was interesting to me from the piano lessons that I had at school. But I, I, had, a, I had a great piano teacher. He was a, an amazing, interesting man. Um, uh, sadly, no longer with us, but a very, very interesting human being and extremely amazing piano player. Um, so I kind of enjoyed the piano lessons thing. I just sort of enjoyed being around... Um, uh, Charles Hopkins, his name was. Uh, he was a guy who taught at Cheatham's, where I went to school. And he just had second study pianists. Uh, it was very strange. He was an amazing piano player and a brilliant teacher. Um, but, yeah, I tended to just pick and choose because he taught me how to get around the instrument, essentially. And he showed me, you know, the fingering systems and all that stuff. Um, and I didn't practice anything that Charles gave me. And he recognised that I wasn't going to do that. He, I think, you know, he was a clever guy. He worked out that I was a bit of a lazy, bit of a lazy sod and uh, was a bit of a picker and chooser. Was just would just work on things that I was interested in. And that's been, you know, the sort of bane of my existence, really. You know, but that's, you know, that's the way we are. I've kind of accepted that and try and use that to the best of my abilities. Um but the vibes is, I played vibes at school. I used to do a lot of improvising on the vibes. I used to quite like improvising because it was a really easy way for me to kind of play melodic and chord stuff. I used to play Burton Grip and I was quite good at it. I, you know, I kind of understood the sort of movements around the vibes. But I was never that interested in learning the instrument. But I was interested in improvising. And, I, and the piano was the same because I could sort of get around the piano with my right hand. My left hand's pretty rubbish. Um, 
it just tends to whack down octaves, you know, and sort of outline the tonality in the most basic form. But my right hand, I got pretty good with my right hand at sort of flying about a bit, um, which all sounds very impressive, but it's believe me, it's utter nonsense. Um, but the thing about piano was I was listening to a lot of piano players. I was very, very into piano players when I was... Um, you know, 14, 15, 16, well, I still am, but at that kind of young, impressionable age when I'd kind of got out of... Uh, when I moved away from sort of rock music and got more into jazz and fusion and improvised music, I was listening to a lot of piano players and I was listening mainly to Keith Jarrett as well. All the solo concerts from the, you know, the early 70s, I was really obsessed with that stuff. And so there was a sort of thing, but it's that kind of a simulation thing, isn't it? When you listen to something a lot, when you come to play that same instrument there's something about what you've listened to and how hard and deeply you listen that you somehow assimilate into it when you're doing it and i was listening to gary burton a lot as well really really into gary burton um i mean he was a bit of a technician really um but he's phenomenal like just a formality thing and how he i don't know how he got to play all those things at the same time you know there's a great album i'd recommend to any of you that are listening to this if you've never heard it it's called alone at last um i haven't got it here actually i have got a copy of that on cd uh, somewhere but um i think it's late 60s i'm not sure to be honest with you it's a very early album for him and it's it's genuinely amazing album. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about it. Listen to it. It's, it's just him on his own and how how he gets around the instrument and what's going on. Uh, and it was the same with Jarrett because I was very, very into, you know, and I was at school with some very, very good piano players. I was, I was at school with a guy called Stephen Gosling who was, we used to play in our jazz quartet um, that we had at school. And Stephen was an amazing... Uh, classical pianist for his age he was really a super bright guy uh, perfect pitch but very musical and he had great relative pitch as well as perfect pitch he was just a very musical person and he, and he was the guy that got me into Keith Jarrett you know his dad bought him some compilation album his dad used to be uh, I think I mentioned this in one of the very early podcasts but it's just those early sort of pivotal things you know and uh so the piano thing, yeah, I kind of, you know, I was really getting into improvising because, um, I, and, and like Stephen, he was very, very into playing heavy classical music, but he was into improvising as well, you know, and he was, a, he was we were playing a sort of jazz in this group. It was more contemporary music, really, the, the, the quartet we had. It was, you know, I, I couldn't play swing then. I really, I was just starting to really learn and uh, and it ties into what I'm talking about today, actually. I'd started to see Dave Hassel and Dave had a very, very, very simple, clear system. Um, and it's part of the way I teach now. I've, I've adapted it because that's what you do. Uh, that's what I was going to talk about today, about just that thing of, of teaching and how you, how you find your own way to teach. Um... So I had mentioned at the end of one of the earlier podcasts that I was going to talk about this. But yeah, just to go back to the other thing, um, I was playing, you know, this quartet and we were writing original music. It was it, We weren't playing any covers. 
And uh, there was a guy that used to be at, uh, at Cheatham's probably 10 years before and he'd gone off to America and he was a trumpet player. can't remember his name. It's uh, a bit remiss of me. But he came back to do a workshop and he was a very successful Broadway trumpet player, like reading trumpet player. Um, sorry, I'm just going to turn off. I've come up to the drum house. Uh, it's quite cold and I've got the fan heater on and I'm going to turn it off now because it's... It's a little bit annoying. It's quite loud. He probably sounds like you probably hear it if you're listening on headphones. Uh, hopefully that should be a little, little bit quieter. But yeah, he, he this guy had come. He'd come in to do. He'd come to visit the school, and then somebody said to him, "Well, we've got a jazz quartet at school because we were the first real jazz group at the school." There was another group of students who are some amazingly successful people now. Uh, I'm not going to mention who they all are, but they're all like phenomenal people in what they do you like but they were like a they were the guys and gals that were more into the like the the groovy pop stuff and they had the great they had this great band had some mega people in it uh who were mega musicians now um and i was like i was into the improvising thing so we had this jazz quartet and we were the jazz people you know so there was like these are different groups of people different social things and um and yeah, we were kind of like, we had the jazz quartet and we were playing this interesting kind of contemporary music, which was weird, groovy music. And uh, this guy came in to do like a workshop with us and it was hilarious because we were, we were playing him some of our music and he was like genuinely like impressed, you know, because we were, we were good. It was, we were a good group. Um... And then we were playing some standards, you know, because we we had learnt some standards and we were doing like a little gig around the corner from school, which we weren't supposed to be doing, but we used to we used to go out on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon and play at this little bar that was around the corner. And um, it was really dodgy. We were like 16 and we were getting paid. It was hilarious, really. We used to sort of wheel the gear out of the front of the college and, and take my drums. And uh, I think the security guy at the time used to just turn a blind eye to it. He was um, days when he could smoke anyway. You know, he was just having a little cigarette, to, you know, pretending he was making a brew, and we'd sort of wheel this big, unwieldy kind of um, <laughs> trolley thing, and wheel it round the corner. It was it was two or three hundred yards away. This bar, um, but thinking about now, it was just an absolute nightmare. I don't know why we did it. But we used to do it every week. We used to go and play standards, and we were trying to learn some jazz. You know. And when we played for this guy, he was like, how can you play all that other music and be so crap at playing the, the standards? And he was like, you've got the whole thing the wrong way around, you know. If you really, really want to learn to play this music, he said, you, you really need to get the other stuff together, you know. And this coincided for me because it was in my last year at school and I was 17. It coincided with me going to see Dave and Dave was basically saying the same thing, sort of same thing. Um, but he was just talking about like learning coordination, you know, learning about a sound at the instrument and stuff. And uh, he was making me think about the drummers that I was into in a, in a different way, you know. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was the kind of thing that was going on then. And the, the vibes thing and the piano thing was, was all going alongside that for me. But when I left school and then I went to Guildhall and I was only there for a year and I didn't, I didn't enjoy 
uh, Guildhall because I wasn't into playing classical percussion. It was a great college and I had some great friends there and stuff. But I left after a year. It wasn't for me. I definitely didn't want to carry on this classical career. And the Guildhall thing was heavyweight. It was real. Um, well, it was a natural progression. The Cheatham's thing was heavyweight in relation to what we were doing as, as you know, for our age. And then... You know, I did the auditions and uh, did Trinity and Guildhall in London and got into those two colleges. Didn't get into the Royal College. Um, hilariously, that was where um, I had to play some piano. And uh, it's like, I, I, didn't, I hadn't even read the audition requirements properly because I didn't want to go to the Royal College. I had no interest, but I had to put three places to audition down. And uh, and in hindsight, I made, I made a bit of a mistake there because I should have auditioned actually for the Royal Academy. That would have been a much wiser thing because it was just the beginnings of a jazz course in the same year. And I, I, I spent two years really hanging out there with uh, some of the people that were involved in the early part of that course. And just that kind of scene, it was a different scene. But the Guildhall thing was good because they had a postgrad course and people like Lionel Grigson, the late great Lionel Grigson was there. Jean Toussaint was young. You know, he's a young guy come over from the States and he was teaching there. I used to sit and chat to him and I was back. I'd seen the Art Blakey documentaries and on television and, and seen him. And then he was there at Guildhall. And it was all brilliant. That was all amazing. Um, but the kind of classical side of it was a real like I was having lessons with some real heavyweights and I didn't want to waste the time because. I wasn't going to do it, you know. This is not something that I was going to do. I wanted to play the drums. I wanted to play jazz. Uh, and uh, that was about all that I knew. It was all nonsense, really. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. But I was trying to learn. I was trying to learn to practice. And uh, when I left college, I never played the vibes again. Uh, but I carried on playing the piano. Uh, but the piano's hard, you know, well, the vibes are hard and they're both hard instruments. But the thing about being a drummer is if you're used to kind of striking things with sticks and you've got some chops and some technique and bits and bobs and this, that and the other, and you know a little bit about, about music and what John Settle was saying today, very interesting, was it's an instrument you can get into very, very quickly, you know. And you can kind of get into the fun side of the instrument very quickly. And that's what I thought the way he put that across today was really interesting for the, for our students because I could see like little light bulbs going on with a few of them. Like they could realise, hold on a minute, yeah, this is like I don't have to sit at the piano. Or I haven't got any technique. I haven't got any like coordination on the piano or independence or I can't do this thing. We're playing this thing with my left hand with these two fingers or doing three finger voicings and then playing this or doing, you know, sevenths and thirds with the thumbs and all that system. Uh. <clears throat> so I could see that they were like looking at um, the vibes and thinking, hold on a minute, you know, I'm not holding drumsticks. I'm just holding beaters. And uh, I can kind of play. I use all my like rudimental language, all my doubles and my singles, my paradiddle stuff to play scales. You know, because like the E flat thing is, if you play an E flat scale on the vibes, for instance, it's you know E flat F G. The E flats with the left hand, and the, and the F and G with the right hand, and then the A flat and the B flat with the left hand, the C and the D with the right hand, and then the E flat at the top of the scales with the left hand again. So you get this thing of uh, left, right, right, left, left, right, right, left. You know, which is well, what role is that? You can work it out for yourself. Anyway, it really connects to drum kit rudimentary language and vocabulary, which is brilliant. So, um, but I could, yeah, I just gave the vibes up because I just carried on with the piano 
And uh, and the thing with piano for me was I wanted to get good enough on the piano to be able to write music, and that's exactly what I do with the piano. Uh, I don't have the time or the discipline, the headspace um, to get any better on the piano. I think I could probably be quite good on the piano to a certain level if I put some real time into it. And it may be something I'll do a bit later in life, you know, um, if I just ever got sick of carrying the drums around and stuff. Uh, we've got a very nice piano here at home. We've got a Yamaha RC3 Grand, which uh, my better half, she teaches on that most times. She's she's a very good piano player. She's a very good reader. She's a good accompanist and all that. She's very different than me musically. I always listen to her and think, I wish I could do that because she can just read anything and sort of play it. And she, you know, she plays with her students. But she, she also teaches the piano and stuff as well. So, um so the thing about the piano at home is it's quite hard to get on it because my my other half is quite busy teaching at home. When she's not away examining, she's doing the teaching at home thing. And uh, most evenings we have uh, lessons going on in the house, you know, after school time. So um, I tend to get on the piano sporadically downstairs. But in the drum house, I've got a little keyboard here, which I use for writing and I don't ever feel particularly inspired to come practice on this plastic keyboard. Whereas I love playing the piano. The piano, it's a beautiful piano. It's really, um, you know, for the money and all that, it was a really, really great investment for us, you know. And uh, we, you know, we keep it very well serviced. We've got an excellent piano tuner and stuff. And we have exams in the house and things. So it's always, it's a well-maintained instrument. I, I love playing it and it really, and it's not a heavyweight piano like a Steinway or something where the action is a proper when you've got to be a proper kind of player to get the sound out. But I do really enjoy that kind of uh, the thing of playing the piano, you know, so it's like a nice, nice vibe. So I carried on with the piano. The vibes just fell by the wayside. And I've never really, I've never played the vibes since. And that was in like 1990. Uh, was the last time I played the vibes so um, that was what was going on at kind of work today and uh, yeah and then I managed to um, get out and then drive home and it was very quiet it's quite eerie really uh, wasn't like like nobody on the road but for Friday I just drove home in 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 like the normal time it would just take to do a 50 mile journey you know I was basically back here sort of in Bolton I was here within 55 minutes, you know. I was just steady away on the motorway. And Friday normally, um, it's a funny one Friday actually. I think a lot of people, a lot of musicians have this experience with Friday is that most sort of office workers, uh, a lot of people leave a little bit earlier on a Friday. Sometimes it's four, half three, four or half four. So you get this kind of weird rush hour on a Friday. And a lot of musicians I know who drive to gigs, they either leave about half past two or they're leaving at six o'clock because it's kind of quieter, you know. And today, I just the workshop finished at four. I just left. I, got, I was in the car by quarter to five um, and uh, just drove home in an hour, you know, which was amazing, really, for Friday. So I just made the decision to come up and do this tonight, um, which is good. And uh, I was going to talk today, and I've just realised it's rambled on for like 25 minutes about nothing, really. Um, well, some of it's actually connected to what I'm going to talk about today, because the subject today, and I've mentioned this before, is is this thing about 
Um, it's maybe not aimed at the entire audience. It might not be aimed at anybody, actually. I don't know. Um, but it's this thing about getting into teaching or finding your own way to teach, about why would somebody want to come to you for lessons specifically or, or study with you or, you know, whatever. And it's just talking about my own experience with that journey, my own, when I sort of learned, how I learned to teach in a way, which is a funny one because I'm still learning. I'm, I'm definitely still learning to play the drums. Um, my teaching is evolving all the time and I'm very lucky the way in which I teach now. I'm very blessed because privately... <clears throat> I don't, I do very little private teaching. Um, I'll get into a bit more about that later, talking about what tends to happen with the private teaching. And then the college teaching, which is, you know, that's, that's pretty much all the teaching I've done since uh, 2006, um, is all teaching pretty much all my students are very serious they're they're all you know i mean they're all very good but they're all very serious about it there's, there's two things there you can be good and clowning about which is i put myself more in that category sometimes um <laughs> but you can be you know you can be talented and dedicated and they're you know they're not always they're not always mutually exclusive to each other sometimes you know they're either one or the other i've definitely sat in the camp of of maybe resting on my natural talent a little bit too much uh, at certain times in my life. Uh, I do believe in um, having a kind of natural talent at certain things. I think that's true. I think it exists. My family history is, I think I mentioned this before, is is interesting that my um, on my late mother's side, my grandfather, my late grandfather, on my late mother's side of the family, his brother, so my great uncle, was a drummer, big band drummer, jazz, big band drummer in, in Swinton, in Salford, in uh, very, very found my my second cousin, uh, Andrew Bold, who's a, who's a, so he's like the equivalent of me on the same side of that family. The, the, he's the grandson, uh, and I'm the grandson of uh, obviously. So, um, but yeah, he sent me a picture recently of my great uncle. Um, and it's just, you know, in a really old school drum kit, you know, with a big old bass drum and uh, some auxiliary skulls and the, that kind of chick web setup, really. And it was a really beautiful picture because it's just like a dance band, you know, a quintet, I think, um, with like banjo and stuff. And it's just really beautiful. And that's part of my heritage, you know. It's not it's not heritage in, in relation to me knowing this person. It's a genetic heritage, though. You know, you you know, you come through the families. Obviously, you know, come through. You know, genes travel through, find their way through all sorts of you know different chains of the family. So my, I think I mentioned this very very early on in one of the early podcasts. My granddad of it was very proud that I ended up being his drummer because there was no drummer on his side, and you know, um, just this thing of suddenly I appeared and my brothers, you know. Um, was very into music. My brother's really, really into music, but he's never played anything, you know, but he was very, very into music, my brother. I think my brother, actually, in some ways, he's more into music than me, in some ways, and he was very, very into um, the kind of Manchester thing in, in the late 80s, early 90s, all those bands, and the Smiths, and um, the Happy Mondays, and all that stuff. Really kind of, you know, kind of regionally loyal 
but very, very into all that stuff, my brother, you know. And uh, we always had music on as a family and everything. And uh, so the kind of, but I was, uh, you know, suddenly I was going on about drums for years and years and years. And bless you, I've always already gone on about, told this story before. But um, on the genetic side, I think that, I personally think that I had an affinity for it. It came from from nothing, you know, didn't come from anybody. Um, you know, my mum was never going on about music and jazz and things like that. Absolutely, there was, there was nothing of it, you know. Um, my dad he was, you know, very into music again, but um, never, you know, going on about you know, anything other than stuff within the top 40, really, you know. Um, and my brother was listening to a lot of music. My brother was into Madonna and he was into all kinds of different stuff. He, he had a great record collection. He was really into buying records from a young age. But, yeah, I went, ended up, you know, I ended up getting into music school, going to music school, showing some sort of early talent, uh, having a real affinity for kind of snare drum, particularly in timps. And then got into jazz and was really, really, really into improvised music and jazz and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, an age of knowing, an age before I even knew what the hell I, who the hell I was, and what the hell I was doing. You know, so it was just funny to, to I, I kind of knew about all this stuff on that side of the family anyway. So my great uncle was a drummer. His son, my uncle or second uncle or whatever you want to call it uncle yeah uh, uncle um my uh granddad's uh brother's uh, son crikey i hate family trees i'm no good at it get completely confused he was a piano player jazz piano player and had a, and had a big band and then andrew bold who is my second cousin who is his son went to um studied jazz at leeds where in the uh in the late 80s, early 90s, basically the same age as me, Andrew. And he's, you know, a successful drummer and he's uh, done all sorts of different things, lots of shows and different, all that kind of commercial kind of playing and stuff. Has an amazing uh, collection of drums, real, it's got uh, really, really, some really, really beautiful drums, lots and lots of drums, and um, and plays them all, you know, and is really into into that side of things. So... But that's kind of like all that stuff is I'd, I've never met any of those people. Um, you know, we, we never that side of the family was never kind of close in relation to um, I never met them when my granddad was alive. Um, we used to regularly see my my mum's dad, you know, we used to go over there a lot. It was, you know, the side of Manchester from where we ended up growing up in Swinton which was where I was born, but I didn't grow up there. And, um, yeah, it was just that thing of, like, ending up, you know, getting into jazz and being kind of really passionate about jazz. And and so there's, I, I believe there's a natural... I have a natural affinity for the instrument. Um, but you can't just rest your, on your laurels with that. You can't just, like, go, OK, well, oh, I can play. Because I... As soon as I sat down behind the drums, I could play the drums. And it's not like an arrogant statement at all. It's just a statement of fact. And it's it's just because I, I, in my brain, I just knew what, what the drums were. You know, I, knew, I kind of knew how they sort of functioned. And, and I, had a, I had a kind of thing in my head about what I wanted to do on them. And, of course, then when I got into 
the drums properly and started actually learning. And the first person I really studied with drum kit, obviously, was Dave Hassel. Uh, I, had, I had lots of percussion lessons before that, but I'm talking about drum kit here. And then I didn't have any lessons until about four or five years ago. And um, so I had this long, long period. Oh, sorry about that. Standing on the microphone stand. This long period of... Um, of sort of self-development, really, and using um, different bits of information and experiences to sort of build a picture of how to teach, how to, you know, teaching is lots of different things to different people. Um, so on the one end of the spectrum, you know, if you're teaching maths um, or if you're teaching... Uh, law or if you're teaching like to become a someone to become a surgeon or something these these things have a they have systems which are quantifiable and and in some cases like learn to be a surgeon we were talking about this today in a meeting at college actually you know if you don't turn up to the lectures, say you were, say you were, you know, wanting to become a consultant, a surgeon, or something, and you, you didn't turn up to those lectures. There's no way you're going to pass, because you're going to have missed critical things to do with, you know, chopping into somebody's body and taking things out, or, you know, performing extremely complicated procedures on a human being that's under your care. Whereas you want to become a jazz drummer. And you, you know, you turn up to half your lectures, and you, you, and in your own time, you're sort of blagging around and doing whatever. You could actually have a completely successful career. There's absolutely no reason why that wouldn't be the case because there's a sort of certain amount of self-learning involved in this thing. So you've got kind of two ends of the spectrum there. I teach the the latter thing, and it's like, how do you really teach that? If somebody can come to you and actually, they don't ultimately don't need you really if they're really really self-motivated uh they don't actually need you um what is the purpose of what you do uh so i can't talk about obviously you know teaching surgery or law or something but i can talk about my experiences so far which are you know uh, reasonably wide experience now now that i'm nearly 50 um, but just talk to you about how I learned to kind of teach, really, uh, and where where I've got to with that at this point. It's a, it's a line in the sand at the moment. It's a point in a datum point in uh, existence. It's not a, it's not the end point. It's not the answer. It's not you know this is what I do now. It's just where I'm up to. And um, when I was at when I was at college, there was a drummer uh, called Jim Fleeman. Really, really great drummer who's a British drummer um, who's still around and still does lots of things he worked with somebody I used to uh, be really close friends with actually a few years ago uh, record an album with her and uh, bizarrely by uh, somebody his name appeared like like it does in, in the music world his name just appeared out of nowhere after 20 odd years but Jim was a, an ex-Guildhall student he was a very very good drummer and Jim was very nice to me don't know why uh, when I went to London he was dead nice to me and he, he gave me a few gigs shows and stuff did a few depths for him um don't know whether i did a very good job of him but you know i did a few things and he also he i depped his teaching job that he had i did it a few times and it was in a school up out uh in north london rickmansworth 
And uh, it was a funny, it was a very, very strange <clears throat> experience in some ways um, because it was just, it was my first experience of what what's teaching in schools can be like, you know, and I was completely and utterly green to this thing. It was, it was so new to me. Um, but he'd sort of, he briefed me, he said, oh, there's a bit of a syllabus thing and a lot of them just come in, they're working, they've got this book or they're working on some grooves or whatever and blah, blah, blah. They might ask you about different things. And luckily I had enough stuff together to be able to, you know, basically blag my way through this situation because that's what it was. It felt to me like I, I was winging it a bit, really blagging it a bit, you know. But it's this thing of like the improvise, the improvising life, you know, you, you we all in our lives have to improvise we have to kind of go hold on a minute i've got to you know i'm in this situation i've got to make a decision about how i'm going to communicate with this person that thinks that i'm an authority you know and uh <clears throat> depending on how much self-confidence you have or haven't got um that can be tricky um and I just remember going, I used to go to this school and there were really short lessons of like 20 minutes and, you know, a student would come in and then another one would come in and it would go out and they were all, some of them were just getting out of lessons that they didn't like. And uh, that was my first experience of that type of teaching. But I learned a lot because everybody, all these kids were doing different things. It was not the same experience as one of the next teaching jobs that I had uh, when I moved away from London. So I kind of, <clears throat> learn a lot about having to be really adaptable you know there was kids coming in and they were doing like a grade and they were playing this piece and that was really easy to teach because it's just like the thing was written out for you they weren't making a nice sound on the snare or they were struggling with a coordination thing and i was just like well well let's look at that like let's look at that second beat you know, you've got this, like, offbeat bass drum and you're playing it wrong every time because you can't play the way from the right hand, you know. So I was just like, let's... I just wrote little exercises, like, look, practice this little cell and then if you can do that round and round, you'll be able to play that thing. And uh, I noticed some kind of success with that, you know, with the ones that were interested. The ones that were not interested, that's the most boring, dry thing in the world because it's just because it's kind of systematic and it? it's not exciting, you know. But the ones that were you know, genuinely into this stuff and they were trying to do a good job of it, they would, like, go away and they would do that thing. And, and I'd get them doing it in the lesson. I'd, I'd demonstrate to them about how quickly, you know, having that kind of flexibility, what it, what options it gives you, you know. And then there's other ones that would come in and they'd be playing um, along to a record, you know. And, again, that would be just like really easy to teach in a way because they're just trying to copy something and uh, they were just mainly doing it for fun so it's just about keeping it fun really and the thing that I always have to be really mindful of because I'm such a nerd you know is that I can just sap the fun out of it completely and make it really dull because I just get really into like oh yeah there's an interesting little thing going on there on beat three with the offbeat hi-hat with the bass drum on the it's like you know some like 12 year old kid he's just gonna be looking at you like are you on acid you know so um yeah just that kind of being really kind of mindful in those situations of like yeah they just want to play along to eddie van halen or something they just want to play along to the happy mondays you know whatever it is they're just playing along to a record they're doing a covers thing and that's great they just want to feel like they're connected to that thing 
beautiful. So I found that quite easy. And then there'd be the ones that were coming in that were not doing either of those things and they were not really doing anything. They were just getting out of maths, you know. And then the, 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 and then the timetable would be on rotation and they'd be getting out of English, you know. And then it'd be on rotation and they'd be getting out of biology. And they, they'd, they'd just gone, I can go and have a drum lesson with this guy and just like whatever, and it'll just be like, I'll just come in and it'll just, I'll, I've got this book that I, you know, that I bought for me and I don't really know what I'm doing with it. And they, that's, that was the really hard, they were the really hard lessons, you know, because they were the 20 minutes that would go by and from week to week, you know, they were paying for the lessons so they could do what they like, you know, but they paid for the privilege of me sitting in that room, you know. But they were not working on the material, you know. So what does one do in that situation? Well, you know, I learned to just kind of just... I don't know, find something that they're, like, interested, find out what they're interested in and have a little bit of a chat about that and try and connect it in some way to, you know, play music or social thing or something. And uh, But, it, I mean, I only did, I only covered this teaching thing three or four times, so it wasn't, like, a weekly thing for me. But the thing that I did decide at that point, this was when I was, like, 18, I was, like... I do not want to do this type of teaching when I get older. I, I'm definitely not going to allow myself to have students that are the third student in that situation. I have no problem teaching someone who's just into covers. That's fine. They come in the room and they just like, yeah, woo, they can have a bit of a vibe. And then, uh, and then the other ones that are doing, you know, they're doing like a grade thing or whatever, you know, or doing some piece or, you know, they're learning a thing out of a book or whatever and they're really into it, that's cool because that's really easy to teach. Um, I definitely don't want to have the kids that are coming in that are just getting out of classes and they pay for the privilege of doing that, you know, or, or their parents have, not them. Um, so that was a real kind of thing for me when I was at that, you know, young age, I was still at college, obviously. And then, uh, and then for years I didn't teach. Didn't do any teaching really. I moved back from London, um, and I started doing a few little private lessons. And uh, in those private lessons, they, it was just that I was mainly teaching things that I was working on, um, which is not great, really. You know, because it, it was just that's just a really narrow-minded. I th I thought it was very narrow-minded. I think back now about what why I was. And it was just that thing was like, well, I'm practicing these things, so therefore I can demonstrate them in the lesson. And I don't want, don't want to be teaching anything that I can't demonstrate because that doesn't feel fair, you know. So it was done out of good intentions, but actually I think it was a bit narrow-minded way of teaching. But I just had a couple of private students that I used to go and see every week, um, two or three. Um, actually, there was one guy I used to teach who was really into you know uh, some music that i was into i used to go around there and it used to be like an hour lesson and i'd stay there for like two hours and we'd just have a chat about things and we'd listen to some music and then he you know and then he'd play a bit and i would just talk about technique and stuff and because the thing is i did know a lot about technique so i was quite useful and uh i started realizing that the the people that were asking me to go back to have for me to teach them. I started realising that that was the thing that they were really wanted out of me. And the people that stopped asking me to go teach were the um, were the ones that 
weren't into that, you know, because the way in which at that time I was sort of communicating was in a quite a narrow, geeky kind of way. So, so that was that was kind of in, I was it was an interesting time for me, just that kind of self awareness thing of sort of going, oh, okay, you know, this is what you know, are people you know, asking me to do this because I'm good at it or because I can communicate it or it's because of what I specialise in and all that kind of stuff. And there's maybe some nonsense, pretentious thoughts attached to that. I don't know. Um, but then I sort of gave up teaching for a while. And then a friend of mine uh, moved away from uh, the area. He moved to London and uh, Mr. Elliot Henshaw. Hello, Elliot, if you're listening. I know you have been to a few of these. Um, the old Henshaw classic. Um, hope you're well. And he gave me um, a couple of things. He, he passed on a couple of different things that he was involved at the time. And one of them was some teaching that he did in quite a posh suburb of... Um, it's sort of in... It's not really Manchester. Wilmslow, which is sort of cheshire way where it's quite posh, you know. And... Uh, and I was living in South Manchester at the time, so it was a really easy thing. It was just to drive down the old A34. I used to go and teach in these houses, and they were all working from this book. And uh, I thought I had a copy of the book here, but I haven't, actually. Uh, and it was a book with just, like, loads of different grooves in it, you know, and it was just, like, all numbered. It was a very, very simple book, very, very easy to teach from. And... Uh, and I, and I quite enjoyed this teaching. And, I, and there were there were nice. Some you know, there wasn't many students, but they were they were all quite they were all quite nice, you know. Um, but um, it was a funny time of life because I got ill around that time, and I was kind of out of action, really, in relation to teaching for a year. I wasn't really able to do that sort of thing, and uh, and so I sort of gave up on it. But there was one really pivotal thing that I'll still remember having this conversation with it with a parent at the end of this lesson I was teaching this this young lad he was you know he was like school 13 or something he was he was quite good you know and he was quite keen and uh I got into this thing with him where I'd realized that he was he was kind of doing he'd sort of do lots of these different little exercises so they'd be like, it'd just be like a four bar thing or an eight bar thing or something. It'd be like a groove and it's all written out and it would just be, you know, specific kind of bass drum pattern and stuff. And what he was tending to do, this lad, was he was playing lots of them and he wasn't doing a great job of them. He was, they were sort of a bit, um, it was all a bit sk skirting over the detail, a bit superficial, you know. Um, it sounded all right, but he had the ability, this was the thing, he had the ability to really nail these things, but he just wasn't. So what I started doing with him was I just started saying, this week, I just want you to do number 31 and 32. And I want you to really concentrate on these things and talk about it in the lesson and the sound on the hi-hat, making him hit the hi-hat with the tip and the shank with the accents and different things and making him play the bass drum accurately and talking about the subdivision thing, which he understood, all this stuff he understood. Anyway, so it was great. 
And anyway, I was going out one day and his dad said, oh, can I have a word? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. He said, yeah, I'm just a little bit concerned about, you know, the amount of work that you're giving um, young, whatever his name was, Johnny or something. I don't know what his name was. can't remember now. I was like, all right, oh, oh well, I'm, I'm giving him too much. No, 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 we don't think you're giving him enough. I mean, we really think you need to be giving him, I know I'm doing some stupid posh voice, by the way, but he was a bit annoying, this guy. Um, and he was like, no, you should be giving him more, you know. And I could just got this vibe of like, oh, yeah, this is like someone that, get, that their child at school has like too much to do. And it's all about you've got to have lots to do. As long as you've got lots to do, then, you know, we're all busy and everybody's great. And I just said to him, yeah, I don't really, I don't really teach like that. It's not really my kind of... And he said, well, you know, I mean, you know, will he, you know, school, they give him lots of things. I said, yeah, I'm more interested in the detail. For me, if he nails one, like, bar of that thing, gets it really on the money, then for me that has more value than giving him 20 different exercises because he'll learn more about the process of understanding that thing than, uh, than me just giving him a load of stuff. You know, and he was this like father was looking at me like um, I could see he was get, getting angry, you know, because he, he was basically I'm paying you. So I'm telling you how to teach my son. And it's like, well, you're paying me to come around to be an expert. You're paying me to come and share an experience with your child that's going to help them learn something that you don't know anything about that you don't teach you don't know you can't play the drums and i and i even had this conversation i said so so i said all oh, right so have you have you learned an instrument and is it that why you're oh no 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 i'm I, you know he did something you know something completely different and i was like well i'm saying i don't really understand here where you know where your opinion's coming from apart from that it just sounds to me like as long as on paper there's is you've got lots to do and lots of deadlines, then it, it's really ticking the boxes of its purpose. And I said the purpose for me is this thing is about detail, you know. And anyway, to cut a very long story already short, I never went back. I never taught him again, which was a shame because his son was good, uh, but his father was a bit of an idiot, and uh, I didn't want to take his money. I wasn't interested, and. And then after that, I uh, anyway, yeah, I had this sort of period where I got, I got, I was unwell, and uh, so all that kind of teaching came to an end. So I didn't, again, I'd stopped teaching again. But that conversation it made me realise where my head was with it, um, and what it would take for me to get back into teaching properly. You know, and what actually teaching was about. You know, for me, it was it was about uh, not quantity but quality. You know, it was really about people understanding uh, the sort of nuances, small amounts of information and, and how useful and how widespread that can be in, in approaching situations and learning, you know. And I think this way of thinking and way of uh, systematically working on stuff and understanding this way of, of practising uh, can work in other industries, you know, which is, I mean, it's like why you know, a lot of corporations, they get, I know, quite a lot of jazz and improvising musicians that go in and do talks to ASDA or something, you know, to the management, to a management briefing at ASDA or whatever. They get somebody in to talk about improvisation, you know, to talk to those people who, who uh, 
who are in those environments where they're managing large teams of people and they're having to think in different ways, you know. And uh, it's because I think that, uh, you know, as musicians, we we tend to be, we've got to think on our feet and, um, and lots of other people have as well. I'm not saying that it's exclusive to, to music in any way, but it's, there's a whole thing about kind of adaptability to situations. Um, and I think I talked a bit about that in the gigging life thing, the, the podcast about the gigging life, about, you know, you turn up to a gig, it isn't the gig you thought it was, but the people that you thought it was going to be in, the place that you thought it was going to be in, you've got to play this music instead of that music and you've got this and you've got that going on and all these things are different and you've just got to get on with it and be flexible and do a good job of it, you know, and not whinge and not moan and hope the people that you've worked with are going to ring you again to work with you again, et cetera, et cetera. And all that stuff takes a great deal of flexibility, you know. It's about acceptance. It's about, you know, an understanding of of hierarchy and what people's kind of expectations of you are and, and noting in a situation, you know, making sure you don't upset people and making sure that people are being listened to and all kinds of different dynamics are going on there in that situation. And uh, and so, you know, the thing, we, the thing we sort of teaching was I realised that that was really important to me, you know, that actually if I teach, I want to teach in a way which is really getting into helping people understand like what they're doing with a small amount of information in, in, in the most deep way I can get them to understand it, you know, and they'll understand it. If they really get into it far more than I would do eventually, because it'll be something that they'll really, you know, be, be working on and what have you. So I stopped teaching again. And then uh, I kind of had this illness, uh, 2001, I, um, uh, September, October 2001, I got kind of the, um, what they call the all clear. So, uh, but I had been, I'd been gigging all through that time. The thing I never stopped doing was gigging. I just carried on gigging. And uh, I, had, I had a couple of quite bad illnesses when I was ill. I had a couple of problems when I was ill. And then I went in hospital for a while and was out of action completely at that time. And then I had to sort of stay away from people for a while because I had this sort of... Um, post uh, treatment kind of low immunity thing which uh, kind of got over reasonably quickly over you know within a few weeks but there's a sort of period of there's these little periods of sort of being sort of isolated a bit like what's probably going to happen at the moment for most of us <laughs> actually so it's something i've done before and um, and been in isolation before in, in hospital you know and uh yeah so after all that i got over all that I sort of ended up doing a bit of teaching again in a in a, in a college in South Manchester, um, and working uh, within that organisation in various different ways. And I kind of realised, um, well, I well, I had another really interesting dynamic. So I, I realised like where my heart was with teaching, even more in this situation. I was basically doing two types of teaching. Well, actually, three types. One was a group thing, which I quite enjoyed. The kids were, they're all from sort of, you know, South Manchester, Northern area. They were just like real characters, you know. They were, you know, they were like really driven to be rock stars and pop stars and stuff. And they were, you know, whatever. But they were, they were really nice kids and they were, you know, from real working class kind of uh, backgrounds and stuff. And, and, uh, and I was just helping them with a band, you know, they were in a band situation, they were trying to write music, and I was just a facilitator, really, like a, not 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 even a mentor, but just somebody who was 
helping them communicate with each other, you know, and occasionally chipping in and saying, well, you want to try this, want to try that. But I didn't, I didn't really know a lot about writing music at that time. I had been writing since the early 90s, you know, but I, the stuff I was writing was like weird, Frank Zapparesque, fusion-inspired, strange music. They were trying to write pop songs, you know, but I was helping them communicate with each other. I quite enjoyed that part of the teaching. And then I was doing two different sorts of drum teaching. One was these group teaching. The Basically, the way in which certain parts of curriculum were funded at this period in the UK, uh, for anybody that's outside the UK or doesn't know anything about what was going on in the UK at that time, basically, um, they had to teach grades. So the grades that this institution had to teach were the rock school grades. I don't know a lot of you out there, if you're listening in the UK, will know what the rock school grades are. They're, a, they're grades that are, um, that are targeted at, you know, kids that are into playing rock, rock and roll, and sort of a bit of proggy and fusion-y kind of music and stuff like that, a bit of pop and things. And and uh, and they have, like, a play-along thing with them. I haven't taught this stuff for a long time, so I'm probably a little bit out of touch with it, but it was basically a book all the parts are written out because they were recorded by a pro and they're all different grades, right from grade, like I think pre-grade one, I don't know what it's called, on rock school. I think it's called debut or something. Um, but they go all the way up to grade eight. And uh, and the grade eight stuff, and it's the same with the Trinity stuff or the Guildhall stuff or the drum kit stuff. This is quite early. This is, sorry, this is stuff that's quite early in its evolution even now, you know, because it's not been around that long. When I was at school, there were no grades for drum kit. So that was in 89. So even in this, like, 1990 to now, to 2020, 30 years, it's a very, very short amount of time, actually, in sort of the evolution of grades. And uh, and it will evolve further, I'm sure. You know, it's, it's already become more sophisticated, but um, but the kind of... The grading system that was around then was was basically two... There was two things. There was Trinity, which was the same press as Rock School, but it was quite different kind of syllabus um and in my opinion it was more it was a it was a it was a more kind of um sort of musically eclectic syllabus really and the root and the rudiment side of things was a little bit more challenging and stuff and it was uh some of the pieces were a little bit more connected to that kind of vocabulary and playing and uh and just a, i think a slightly wider style base whereas the rock school stuff tended to be a little bit more just in that kind of bracket of of rocky or funky, a little bit Latin-y maybe, but rocky, funky, all kind of, you know, a little bit proggy. Um, and it's so, and they didn't, in my opinion, they don't really tread on each other's toes. You know, I think the, the right students do those grades for at that time. But I was teaching in this situation with four, I had four students for an hour you know so to get this funding they had to basically you had to teach you in groups so it was like one drum kit me and four guys you know and it was it was always lads there was very very few female students at that time it, it has changed now but at that time it was very very light on the on the, on the kind of ground with 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 female drummers and especially you know choosing it in education they, they, they were more like the guitarists or the singers or sometimes the piano players and stuff but the bass players and, and predominantly the guitarists as well and the drummers were mostly mostly male students you know so it's quite a macho sort of environment 
and they were all different characters and and some of them had really really high opinions of how good they were you know like really unbelievably deluded uh i mean i i was reasonably deluded for a part, uh, for a time and uh, not on this kind of scale so it was really challenging and then there were some people in those groups that were good uh and some of them were good and they had they were pretty mature and had like quite a reasonably well-developed amount of emotional intelligence and would they were very very generous and patient human beings you know um there's a couple of people that um that ended up kind of going through quite a lot of he one guy particularly i won't mention his name but not seen for quite a few years he's a really good drummer and he went through super nice super nice guy and he went through various different institutions you know um and i remember i had him in one of these groups very early on and he was a sensitive human being you know and probably would be a very good teacher now you know he kind of very switched on and um, was, was a very good drummer and uh i disliked it intensely because you just you ended up with this kind of argument situation you know you just have somebody would sit down and play this thing and they haven't practiced it and then, and then you have to kind of split the time to make sure everyone had their time on the kit and then you were trying to teach somebody who was genuinely struggling with something and they needed they needed that time with you to really understand it and this was again this thing was resonating in my head like i need to spend an hour with this person on this bar because you know because there's some stuff we can really get into here that's going to really help this person with some coordinational problems you know and uh, and coordination is a it's a big thing you know it's about sound it's about you know doing one thing with something else at the same time making it all sound cohesive and like one instrument and all that stuff is going on and I've talked about that previously many times in the other podcasts so I don't want to repeat myself but it, you know all these things come back to the same issues but you don't want to be sat in a room with four young guys and you know two of them are really macho they're not very good. And they're they're like, and then they're like rolling their eyes at someone that's like actually better than them, but struggling with a bit of it because they really want to get, they want to learn it properly. And then the other side of the thing I was was doing was I was doing this B Tech teaching, and the B Tech was like one to one in a room with good students that were you know, and uh, there was a couple of really good people that I taught, and I really enjoyed that teaching. Uh, and I sadly I um, eventually had to give it up. Uh, and actually, it was great because I actually I actually handed it on to um, a guy who I taught, and he was a very good drummer. He came over from uh, Finland, and he lived over here for a while. And uh, he was a very, 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 very good rock drummer. But he got into playing jazz as well, and uh, I think he's gone back to Finland now. But uh, he was a really nice guy who was around for quite a, quite a number of years in Manchester. But he ended up he took that gig over for me, and he was very good at teaching, you know, and he had. Um, he was just very, you know, meticulous, and he was a good player, and and uh, he definitely um, he definitely got a good sort of system together for teaching. But again, it was I'd come back to this thing. I, I gave that teaching up because I wanted to play, um, and I stopped teaching. And that was like in two thousand and one, maybe two thousand and two, and then I didn't do any teaching after that until I got my job at, at Leeds, at the music college there, Leeds College of Music, where I still teach now. In 2006, I applied for a job. I got a job. 
there. I was very lucky to get that job. And, um, and I've told this story before, um, but when I, you know, I just very quickly realised when I got there that, that I was finally teaching the, the right students for me, you know, and that's really important. I think it's important to sort of have that honest conversation with yourself. Who are the sort of people that you really want to teach, you know? Um, and, you know, my partner, she teaches you know, younger kids doing grades and stuff, and uh, she really enjoys it. She's like, it's the right, it's the right sort of um, students for her because she really gets a lot out of that of their learning. You know, she's very good at it, and uh, it's not really that isn't really where uh, I have chosen to teach. You know, um, I wanted to teach. I'm just a bit of a nerd, you know, so it's just that I get more, more more out of a situation where I can really get into sort of the minutiae of things. And one of the things that I realised when I had, I had a lesson, um, you know, a few years ago with uh, with John Riley, the great John Riley, and um, I had a conversation with him about some of the people that he taught. And uh, he, he said this great thing about, you know, they'd have all got there regardless of him. And it was, again, what I was saying earlier on about this thing of when, you, when you're teaching uh, people that are very serious and, and are driven and, and want to do it, you're kind of in a thing where you well, really are you teaching, you know, it's, it becomes quite a challenging thing because they're going to do it in spite of you but the thing that you're trying to do and help them with and this is what he, John Riley put very well and um, it was something that I was aware of but I hadn't thought about it as clearly as this was just that thing of of what you're doing is you're helping people walk in a slightly straighter line a slightly straighter path whereas what I did for years you know what Dave taught me was was great but I didn't have a huge amount of information because I didn't spend a huge amount of time with him but all the stuff that he gave me, I kept and I practiced it. But I, I meandered on a really wavy path. It was all over the place, you know, left to right to up to down to God knows what, you know. And uh, the thing that I realized, that I, one of the things I realized that I was good at when I started teaching that this level, these kind of students, was I was really helping them kind of walk a straighter line, you know. And that was through all these different experiences of teaching in this way and teaching in that way and, and doing all these different sorts of gigs as well. I've not even talked about what, like the experience of gigging and that thing of, um, I think it's called reflexive learning, you know, where you play and your playing says to you, oh, you need to work on this thing. So it's not somebody else saying, right, today I need you to work on this thing. You need to get this thing together because it's going to help with this, that, and the other. And you kind of go, okay, as a, as a, as a student to the teacher, you go, okay, I surrender to that concept. I will go away and have faith in that process. I practice that thing. I believe you. Thank you. That This is not that thing. This thing of uh, when you're on a gig yourself uh, and you're playing and you hit a brick wall or something happens and you you have to remember you have to go oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah that thing i need to that was something i'd done a lot of myself because 
I wasn't studying with anybody. I wasn't taking lessons with anybody. I was just out there playing, you know, floundering around, flailing about, as you do. And also having conversations with other drummers and friends and what have you. But the main thing was I was just doing too much of it really on my own and not kind of reaching out and kind of asking for help, you know, just trying to find my own way with it. And the thing I was determined to do when I started teaching was to not be like me, was to be try and be really clear and helpful and succinct, you know, about sort of, well, practice this thing in this way, concentrate on this element and that element, and this will help you in all these different ways, you know. And a lot of the things that I was trying to develop in teaching was was kind of, has ended up in that place. It's kind of come full, uh, it was not full circle because it's a, it's a it's not it's a journey, but it's it's come back to this thing of having this conversation with this this father um, who was saying, "I want you to give my son more," and I was like, "No, I want your son to play less things better." And there's a really you know definite thing in that. And I've had that conversation with some some students at college. I, I've had a couple of students who said to me, "I you don't give me enough. And I say, well, there's plenty of other things that you can do. You don't need me to even tell you what they are, you know. Uh, I've got these these goals set for you. These are, these are you know, they're, they're, they're simple concepts. But I want this thing to sound right, you know. It doesn't sound right. So as far as I'm concerned, there's work still to do, you know. It's, uh, and I don't want you to be distracted. I don't want to be giving you other things to distract you. If you want to distract yourself, that's fine. You go away and distract yourself all day long. But I'm not going to distract you by giving you other things. And it's just it's like finding the stuff to, to teach and, and finding the information that you want to share, which is, which is not going to do that, you know. So... That's kind of where I'm at now. Um, and again, it's that thing of of whether teaching is, whether it's adaptable or it's inflexible. So um, there's, a, there's, you know, there's a big debating point here about different systems. Systems. We all like systems, don't we? Um, I do. Sorry. But I do. And I believe in systems. Um but I think it's the way in which you communicate your systems and about how you get people to be aware of what they're doing that can have a positive or a negative impact on how they learn, you know, how they practice. But I think what happens is that, you know, people end up creating systems for different reasons. And sometimes it's because they have had all these different experiences and they think that this thing is the most useful thing to do. Um, it can be because they're lazy and they just have something that they've devised that they can do with all their students and that's kind of it. And it's just a way of filling time, you know. But there can be also... Like, I, I consider myself still... Um, a researcher really um i'm a researcher in my own development so i'm still researching drums and how to practice and how to learn things and different stuff and thinking about i was thinking yesterday about going back to practicing some some exercises 
um, with I've, I've written some um, some things in Logic that I practice to all these little, little little pieces that I write, and I was pl I was playing along to one a couple of days ago, so I've kind of got my drums set back up again, my mic set back up again, and I'm now recording again, and the, the room's kind of set up properly again, and, and it seems to be working okay. Um, but I was playing along to this thing that I'd written a couple of years ago, and it was awful. I was just like nowhere, and I was like, and I was just sat um, back down in the house last night thinking, I just need to practice the fives and the sevens thing. And there's this great Eric Harland uh, exercise that if you find Eric Harland's YouTube channel, there's a little exercise on there, and it's just a sticking. Uh, and it's right, left, right, left, left. It's just a five thing. And what he does is he accents the second um, hit of the five. It's just a thing like that. And uh, I remember practicing that a while ago, and it definitely helped me when I was playing some stuff in odd time signatures and doing some also doing some just some coordinated polyrhythmic practice so playing in four but playing groupings of five with 16th notes with semiquavers you know and putting that accent in and then moving that accent around the kit and then doing the same with seven so you got so whatever but I think because it's one two one two and then it's you're accenting the second so it's right left right left right left left and you're 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 accenting the second and the fourth hits sorry yeah it was terribly explained I think I was even singing five at the beginning of that but anyway yeah so it um, so the pattern would be like going so that's the, I'm just playing it very um, just quite simply there but what you're doing is you're doing the same concept you're accenting those two single strokes with the left hand and I was like thinking why and I've not practiced that for ages and I'm playing this thing and I'm struggling with this weird odd time signature thing uh I should just go back and practice that again. And uh, so that was like another thing that I'm going to do, you know. So it's just like all the time researching these little nuggets. It's like a really simple exercise, that. But it has, I know for me, it has profound effects upon on, on me and about how I can sort of control certain polyrhythmic things, you know. So, so yeah, I can sort of consider myself as a, as a sort of, re still as a researcher, but that also that researching is in, is in teaching as well, you know. So it all feels like it's a flexible thing that's developing all the time and it's been fed into by my own practice. So it's kind of that thing of practice-based research. My own practicing, what I'm practicing, uh, playing, who I'm playing with and all that stuff. And then also, and this is really important, who I'm teaching, how they're responding to how I'm teaching, and that and that responding thing is two things. One is is when you're with the student in the room and you are talking to them about something you need them to practice. I need you to understand the um, the tripletization of the syncopation, uh, the Ted Reed syncopation exercises. I need you to understand this concept. If you can understand this concept, you can go away and practice this thing. And it'll open all these doors. And there's, so there's that uh, engagement. 
And then there's the, you know, there's the next thing of engagement. It's very simple is, is the next week that student will come back or they might not come back at all. <laughs> I've had that before. We set people things and then the next week the, the room is just tumbleweeds, nobody there. They've just, you've just scared them off, you know. Um, but no, no, in all seriousness, the next week the student comes back and then you, you make an evaluation of, of whether they've, like, like I've said before, whether they understood it in the first place, which hopefully they did, whether they remembered, which meant they could practice it correctly. Um, and you make an evaluation. Yes, they did understand it and they, they remembered it and they've practiced it correctly and they've done a good job of it. So then you have a conversation. Okay, how do you feel that went? And then there's a whole series of things that's personal in that. It's different. Every student is different. Genuine, in my experience, it's all different. There's no same conversation goes on. Apart from the one thing is that that specific example I've given you, for instance, I've never had a conversation where they've said, oh, that was a, it was a complete waste of my time. It didn't teach me anything about anything. It, it was no good for me. Uh, and I think that that's uh, happened for me because of the nature of the students that I teach. The, the stuff that they're aiming to play, whether it be, you know, really old school, traditional jazz or bebop or post-bop, hard bop or contemporary, whatever, all those exercises are really helpful for them. Uh, it really unlocks the instrument for them coordinationally, you know. So uh, over the years, there's been a kind of, you know, confirmation for me of that, of that system working you know that concept it's a concept isn't it it's like once you understand the concept you go away and practice the concept and that's the, that's the many 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 hours it takes to get all those things just to sound the way you want them to sound and they all sound different to each student you know which is brilliant and and they all sound different when i play them to all my students you know i've got different aspirations and aims with those exercises you know and i feel i i feel empowered in myself by working on those things systematically, you know, and I certainly under no illusions now that when I don't practice and I don't work on those things in that way, I, then things, you know, don't develop. And I, and I don't bullshit myself or pretend there's something else going on and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, well, you know, this is that, and I'm thinking about things in this other way. It's very, very simple. It's like, you know, I don't have, I don't have any expectations of, of anything being any good if I've not put the work in, and that's fine, you know. I used to years ago just make up all kinds of nonsense in my head about that, but actually now I'm just very honest with myself and set those kind of real uh, expectations, you know. So, um, but yeah, but so that's that whole thing of of systems is whether or not people have are, have kind of engaged in. What I'm trying to say is like if you've if you've created a system in your teaching, and I know lots of people that have. Are you thinking about things in that way? I don't know whether you are, whether you're not, whether you need to, whether you don't need to. It just might be interesting for you to um, to develop those systems and adapt them in relation to thinking about how the student is learning and how they're interacting with those systems and what they're getting out of it and how they those things can evolve, you know. And there's something else that I just wanted to mention um, that I, I sort of alluded to earlier on. Um, and it's about sort of the private teaching that I do now, which I don't do very much of, and it, and it kind of ties into this sort of full circle thing. Is when you, you know, when you're sort of um, 
if you're trying to work out what would somebody want to come and study with you for you know what what's your what's your vibe about you know what's the thing that you offer that's different than somebody else you know um if you're trying to attract people to you you know for private lessons and uh, and lots of people you know they 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 focus on different areas of different things and um i suppose for me the main thing that people seem to have come to me for over the years is to talk about uh, technique, really, and also kind of help with soloing. Um, I mean, it, I was going to do a sort of podcast about this, um, uh, about sort of drum solos, but, but not things like, you know, Tommy Lee or buddy rich or something you know these like epic drum solos more about uh i mean it's a little bit more bespoke really it's more about kind of soloing um when you're soloing in in, in a lot of situations i end up soloing which are kind of jazz situations i don't really like the other sorts of drum solos um that are kind of what i would call um you know, entertainment or cabaret, uh, and I mean that. In, I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory way. By the way, I mean that in the in the best possible way. You know, um, great drum solos that are you know have this amazing you know amazing technique and build incredibly and are exciting and all that. A great. I'm just not very good at that kind of thing and never have never really have been. You know, um, but I have been into sort of improvising on the drums and, and sort of exploring. Um, ideas <clears throat> so i did want to do you know the, a whole separate thing on that but i have had people come to me because they've seen me on gigs and they've said oh well you know i like the way you solo you seem to have a really musical approach or a melodic approach to soloing um i really want to kind of get better at that what do you have any ideas about what you what you do you know and i do have some ideas which I'll, i won't talk about now but i'll talk about that <clears throat> in a separate episode um but they're the two main reasons why people come to study uh, privately with me and people come they normally come very sporadically they, they'll come and see me once every um you know two three four months or something um i've had a couple of people that have come a little bit more regularly than that but generally i i don't encourage people to come weekly um one is is the cost of it I, I i don't think it's money well spent personally or for the way for what i'm offering i like to give people stuff to go away and work on uh and again it's because i have this this simple system of uh, making sure people will understand the information and that they've got a way of remembering it so they can go away and you know work on their own um and have that kind of way of self, kind of self-learning, really. Um, and it's just like checking in, you know. So coming back to see me is like checking in, really. And uh, at first, I would recommend someone would come back within. I mean, it's having realistic goals about how much time they've got to practice. A lot because people that come and see me, they're normally people that are professionals. You know, they're busy playing, and and they're probably too busy teaching as well. They might also have another job, but they're quite serious about playing. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm in a very similar situation to them. So I have to have real realistic goals about how much time they can actually spend on practicing the instrument. And there's no point in. Um, 
and going away and not being able to practice and come back and, and having not done anything. It's the same analogy I think I talked about one of the earlier podcasts when I was doing a lot of driving and I was having instruction. Uh, I'm talking about uh, on the track here. I'm not talking about on the road. Um, and uh, me and a, uh, me and my mate who do a lot of driving, Murph, we we was we would do. There was a year where we really did a lot of driving, and we and we both. I mean, you know, uh, I I definitely got a lot better. Murph's a much better driver than me. He's, he's much more kind of. Uh, much more kind of skilled and brave, but um, I, I definitely improved. I felt like I got to a place where I was really uh, attacking the car, you know, and stuff. Um, and it was simply because I was doing it a lot and I was also having some instruction and it was good that I was going back to see the instructor, um, Tim, uh, and uh, was able, he was able to see progress and then he was able to sort of push me a bit more and, and I was doing that thing when I was getting in the car. What used to happen is I take it take me about half a day almost to get almost back to where I was previously. But this particular period when we were doing a lot of driving, I was getting in the car, and pretty much by the second session was was back where I'd finished off on the previous session. You know, you're talking about a few weeks between driving it because you're not driving all you know obviously all the time in that way. And then we stopped driving for quite a long time. We sold this car that we had and it, we were running it on slick tyres and stuff and, it, you know, lots of grip and um, it was a very light car. It was a fast car. And and then I started having instruction again when we bought another car and it was a real waste of time because I just was not having the time in the car, you know. And so I sort of made a decision to stop having the instruction. And it's the same thing with this. same thing with this. It's just if I'm teaching somebody at that level and I'm asking them to go away and practice some quite um, probably quite challenging technical stuff for them because they're trying to change or improve something that's quite fundamental then they definitely need time you know before coming back to me so I always say maybe you know come back within a month after the first lesson and then they come back within a month hopefully add some time each week to work on that thing on a pad or something or whatever on the drums come back and then after that maybe six weeks two months whatever you know it's kind of their call some people just like to check in with like to come and just come and have a chat about what they're doing and stuff and they might want to talk about different things but that's kind of my private teaching is very much focused like that you know um with the new drum room i've got now i'm kind of i can teach remotely now so i can teach via uh, things like Skype and FaceTime um, and that kind of teaching can work well for some people um, because they um, they may be just looking for some technical help and it's quite easy to teach in that way um, and if you definitely feel teaching people that are kind of certainly wanting to change their technique and get into a new technical approach that kind of remote teaching thing can work very well you know and I also think it can work well when you're talking about conceptual things and, and approaches to practicing um, certain systems, you know, certain ways of um, of practicing the drums, you know, uh, approaches to certain things like I've talked about in, in the books episode when you, you know, certain ways of, of practicing the dexterity stuff and or the... Um, the stick control stuff or the, the head read syncopation stuff, a lot of those things are, they are, they're like a singular um, page of, of of exercises that has many different approaches to it being, you know. So, you know, that can work really well. Sorry, my phone's 
going off there, normally on silent and um, making some kind of text message noise, I think. Yes, yeah, exactly what it is. So, so yeah. Um, so that's kind of it, really. Um, I think I've kind of nothing else to say on the matter. Just, um, you know, sometimes I think it's, um, I think sometimes people think or feel when they're teaching that they need to be able to play all the material that they um, that they're teaching. There's a kind of there's different viewpoints on that. You know, I know some people that adamantly believe that you should all you should be able to play everything that you're teaching. And I just remember when I was like a, when I was young and I studying classical stuff, and I, there were some great teachers at school, and uh, they were teaching technique really. They weren't really teaching the actual pieces of music. That was for the student to go and learn. And the students were doing perfectly fine having the technical help in order to sort of facilitate getting around the material. But they were learning the material for themselves. And uh, often, you know, because they, they would... I mean, I was practicing 10 hours a day at one time, you know, especially my sort of later year at school when I was doing my college auditions and stuff. I was doing a lot of practice. That was on percussion. Then I was playing the drums as well. Um, those are the kind of dream days, you know, of when there was time and space to do all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's like um, it, it wasn't necessary for those teachers to be able to play that material, uh, it, it, you know, completely verbatim, you know. And, and I feel the same way. I, I, I don't necessarily think that, you, you know, you have to be able to play everything that your students are studying. I think you just have to be able to help them find the easiest way to improve with that material you know and often because their head's really in something they can often be missing something quite simple or fundamental you know and uh, I often find that I can you know just help or be a small help just to kind of make things a little bit quicker and a bit simpler for them by saying oh have you thought about it in this way or have you thought about you know, uh, playing this with this kind of movement, it feels like you're a little bit, you know, you, you you need to get from here to there and back to this point and you're still here when you're playing this part of of the pattern or the groove or the fill or something and you need to be thinking more ahead. And it's just those sort of things. And that's kind of why you check in with someone, I think, you know. Somebody can just point out something that may be very, very, very basic almost because you're so engrossed in in the real detail of something, trying to understand something in a really deep way. So it's um, it's just always that thing, isn't it? It's, nice, it's always nice to have two sets of eyes on anything. Which I just think in life in general, you know, two people always have, they see things slightly differently and, and, and that can normally give like, you know, a fuller picture. And I certainly think we're teaching and that relationship with the student, I think that's a really important part of that thing is not being just, this is the picture, you do this is having a view where you are kind of looking at the picture with the student together and you're talking about what you're seeing in the picture and, oh, have you seen this in the landscape or have you seen that in the detail in the river or, you know, or the tree or the mountain, you know, or the, or the face or something. It's just, um, you know, it's like that kind of analogy of two people looking at a painting and seeing different things. And then they, if, they, if they're discussing what they're seeing in the painting, then they are definitely sharing that whole experience, you know. And I definitely think that my experience of it as, um, of teaching in that way has been, has been a healthier one, both uh, for me as a teacher and for the student as well, you know, so... So anyway, that's about it for this week. Thank you for listening. Um, 
hopefully going to get this up um, probably tomorrow on Saturday uh, afternoon. Uh, not got any time. I would normally like to listen through to make sure there are no uh, issues with recording. Well, I had one week where I listened through something after I'd published it and there was all kinds of problems. I had to, I had to start again with it. And uh, it's a funny thing, that thing, when you publish a podcast and then you use the RSS feed thing to sort of syndicate it out to, um, like I use Apple and um, Spotify. Um, and, you know, once you throw the kind of, once you kind of throw this podcast out into the world, it's um, it's hard to uh, to reel it back in again if there's any problems with it. So, yeah, I like to listen through and just to make sure that, um, you know, there's no problems and, have you so i'll probably do it tonight and then i'll hopefully get this out by tomorrow so yeah have a nice week hope um just again a call out to um musicians out there hopefully you know not too many gigs aren't going to get cancelled and we're not going to get into a situation where we're not going to be able to do anything for the next month or two or three or four weeks or something uh, but I think, you know, it's looking like it's quite a lot of travel disruption is going to happen, especially flying between borders in the next uh, two, three weeks. Um, so, yeah, all the best to everybody. And um, I'll, uh, yeah, hopefully be um, getting something out again next week. So, yeah, thanks for listening and bye for now.